I'd like to thank KTMS 990 and Montecito Bank and Trust for making Scam Squad possible. I'm Patty Teal. And I'm Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson. Scam Squad is up next. Sound off. One, two. Sound off. Three, four. One, two, three, four. Scam Squad. Welcome to Scam Squad. I'm your host, Patty Teal, here with Deputy District Attorney Vicki Johnson and our special guest who is always supporting Scam Squad from Montecito Bank and Trust. Vicki, would you introduce her? Yes, we're so happy to have back with us Sean Dyer, who is the Senior Fraud Specialist from Montecito Bank and Trust. And she always has so many valuable things to tell us and things that we just need to keep reminding ourselves about. So welcome, Sean. What have you got for us today? Hi, Patty and Vicki. Thank you for having me back on the show. Today, I was going to cover a few different topics. To start with, I'm going to discuss when you receive a text message on your cell phone from what you may think is your bank, stating that there's fraudulent activity on your debit card or credit card or your account. And the text message is, again, that sense of urgency that you must respond immediately by calling the number in the text or if they have a link to click on the link. But what we are seeing is that, of course, this is not the bank's phone number and the link does not take you to a bank website or anything like that. And we recently had three employees receive this text just last week. So it's out there in the territory now. So the best solution if you receive these kinds of texts is to pull out your debit card or credit card. On the back of it is always the phone number to your bank or financial institution. Call that number and state, I just received this text. Did this come from you or whether or not? And they will direct you and say, no, we did not send that to you. So just be aware. It's just unfortunate. Those fraudsters are really hammering out there to get people that will just automatically click or call because the message is so urgent sounding. So Sean, remind us once again, assuming you go down that rabbit hole and you do call or you do click on the link, what happens then? What are the fraudsters trying to get from you? The fraudsters are trying to capture your identity because now they're going to want to verify that you are who you say you are. And how do they do that? They ask for your social security number. They ask for your date of birth. They ask for your full card number, or they may ask for your routing number and account number. It's all that personal identifiable information that will allow them to go make up a new identity and open accounts other places. So it's not so much about tapping into your account that you may have with that bank. It's more about gathering information to move on and use elsewhere. Wow. So that's definitely something to be avoided because I know once your identity is stolen, it can be years before you are able to undo all the damage that can be done by a fraudster who is clever and persistent and knows what they're doing. Unfortunately, it's the customer, it's the victim who has to do a lot of heavy legwork with identity theft. The bank can't really help because it requires the person to take those steps. We cannot do that on their behalf. So yeah, we really try to avoid identity theft whenever we can. So if you get a message from somebody claiming to be your bank or a governmental agency, the sheriff's department, the IRS, social security, just assume it is a scam. Yeah, it's unfortunately, but yes. You just have to go with that assumption. And like you say, check on a number that you know is secure and accurate. 
like the number on the back of your card. Yeah. Or you can always go into the branch and visit a human. <laughs> hey, there's an idea. Novel idea. <laughs> That's probably what I do since I'm so low tech. So next I had a bit of information that came in to us regarding Zelle. And for those who aren't aware, Zelle is a type of P2P, person-to-person payment. So those like Venmo and Zelle are the most popular. The difference between what is considered an authorized transaction versus an unauthorized transaction. An authorized transaction could be a scam. You were tricked into performing the transaction, but you did perform it. So it is considered authorized and it is a scam and you will not be reimbursed by your bank. An unauthorized transaction is considered fraud where you did not perform the transaction. Someone gained access to your online banking or to your checkbook account number, made counterfeit checks, processed an ACH transaction, processed just about anything, any sort of transfer where you had no involvement, did not make the transaction or unaware of it. So it's making that distinction between authorized, which you've been scammed versus unauthorized where it's fraud and the bank will try to collect on your behalf. If it's authorized, especially like with a debit card, there's nothing we can do. We cannot submit a chargeback request to a merchant because they'll send back, here's the proof they authorized it. They did the transaction. We have many, many people that it's hard to clarify that. So putting that tag authorized would be more like a scam, unauthorized would be fraud. That helps me try to explain it better to individuals that have fallen victim, whether it's to go out and pay somebody with sell or to use their debit card to go buy gift cards. It's all that type of thing. Were you scammed? Were you tricked into it that you performed the transaction? Or did these items just appear on your account and you don't know anything about it, how it happened at all? And that means it's fraud. So an unauthorized transaction, you wouldn't know about it until it somehow appears on your statement or in some fashion to let you know the transaction happened. An authorized transaction, you're consenting to the transaction. So what should people be careful about? What should people be aware of in terms of avoiding authorized transactions that are actually scams? Well, our most common is the gift cards or now Zelle. You know, we've say it again and again, no valid business, government entity, utility company will ever ask for payment via gift card or via Zelle. That just isn't the way it happens. So if it's you're getting a phone call or you're receiving an email and it's your gas company saying they're shutting off your gas because they haven't received a payment, go buy a gift card or send us a Zelle payment pick up your phone and call the number that's on your monthly bill and validate that. Don't just send it. Gift card, same thing. So Zelle is kind of replacing the gift card manner of payment. So all of those scams that used to require you to go out and buy a gift card, they're now saying, hey, you can pay by Zelle. If you have to have a warrant recalled and make a payment, a phony phone call from the sheriff or an IRS payment or to avoid being arrested or having your assets seized or a social security issue that has to be dealt with by gift card. Now they're saying, oh, just pay us by Zelle. And with Zelle, you know, like for a gift card, you have to go to a store. 
you have to withdraw your cash from the bank, go to the store or not take the cash, use your debit card, credit card when you go to the CVS, Rite Aid, whoever sells gift cards. You have to make that purchase and then you have to be in contact with the fraudster to provide the numbers on the back of the card. That can take a longer period of time between giving the fraudsters that information. With Zelle, if you're on the phone with them, you can be online on the computer and make the Zelle payment immediately. And Zelle is immediate. It's same day. And gift card would be too, but you know they really have to convince you, yes, you need to go buy these gift cards. So that process would take longer. They're making it easy for us. Yeah, just send this payment now. And also not giving you really time to think. You're not driving to the store. You're not talking to a clerk who says, wait a minute, what is this really for? They're avoiding all of those, what for them would be pitfalls that would stop somebody from quickly making that payment. They're making it ever so easy for us to get the money to them. Sean, you have talked to us before, it's either you or Doris, but it was definitely from Montecito Bank and Trust about the two-factor authorization that the fraudsters are hacking into or working with somebody to get. Would that be considered an authorized transaction or fraud? Sometimes if you have a two-factor authentication where they will send you what we call an OTP, one-time passcode. We've all dealt with that with different things and they send it on your phone. If you're dealing with a fraudster where they know that that's going to happen, And they said, okay, you're going to now get a code sent to you, which is happening because of fraudsters. There's more than one in that scenario. And they ask you to provide them with the code so that their other fraudster person can enter it. If you are providing them the code, you are doing the transaction. Right. And they can't get it unless they had cloned your phone number to get Mm -hmm. that text, which we don't usually see that. If they know there's going to be a one-time passcode and they tell you that it's coming and that you need to provide it to them and you do, that's more like an authorized transaction where you were part of a scam. Interesting. Okay. Okay. All right. What else? So the last item I wanted to discuss, and I think we have before, but it's just amazing how this happens. These fraudsters are really taking time to prep the victims with scripting or scenarios so that when they ask the victim to go to the bank and either wire out funds or purchase a cashier's check or to withdraw cash, whatever method they're trying to get the money, but it's requiring the victim to go to the bank, they are providing information or a story. They are telling the victim, now, when you go to the bank, This is the story you're going to tell. This is why you want to send this wire, or this is why you want to purchase this cashier's check. This is what the money is going to, and you've known that person for a long time, and whatever that story is, but they are getting so detailed because we ask a series of questions. And when our customers send a wire and it doesn't make sense, like they haven't wired funds out before, or it's a really large amount, or they're saying this money is for an investment, but it's going to a person instead of an investment company, and it's out of state, it could be out of the country. So we're used to asking those questions. But now the victims are like prepared with whatever the fraudster has told them. And the fraudsters, mind you, 
they have put such a scare into the victim that they're going to do whatever that fraudster is telling them. And we don't always get the full story if the victim finally goes, okay, 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 forget it. Let's not send it. I don't know that person after all. I just said I've known them forever because that's what the fraudster told me to say. And that is one of our questions we ask. Have you met this person in person? Or have you Skyped or have you seen them? Or has it all been text and email? Like those are some of the things we ask because of this situation. So it's just beware, beware, beware. And it always comes back to a sense of urgency. They've got some story that makes you feel like you've got to do it now. You've got to follow through. You've got to get them the money for whatever story they have put on you that you're trying to do what they tell you. What's interesting, because I just got an email from the sheriff's department about a victim that they talked to. And apparently, this victim was on her laptop when a message popped up saying that your email has been hacked, call Microsoft, and they gave a number for her to call. And when she called this number, the scammers, of course, were there ready and waiting. And they told her that her bank account had been accessed by suspects in Russia and China. And she was told that in order to protect the money into her account, she had to take it out and transfer all her money into a, quote, protected federal bank. So they told the victim to withdraw $8,000 in cash. But if somebody at the bank asked her, she was to tell the bank that the money was for purchase of a new car, which, you know, is kind of a reasonable story. I'm buying a car, I'm paying cash a used car. I'm going to pay $8,000 for it. And she was also told, and this is interesting to me, not to talk to her family or her friends about this, not to tell anybody what she was actually doing until her money was secured in that federal bank. And she was supposed to take the money out in $100 bills, if you can believe that. Then she had to go to a place on Mitchell Terrena Street, put the money in a Bitcoin machine. We've had a customer do that. But like you say, they brainwash these victims. They get them, quote, under the ether. That's a tried and true expression that these scamsters have. And once they've got you in that heightened state of emotion, you're kind of their puppet and they can make you do pretty much whatever they want. So this was a perfect example of a story that was supposed to be given to the bank if they asked her why she was withdrawing the money. Good information, Sean, as always, and good reminders of how we need to be so careful. Somebody said to me the other day, somebody called about a scam that they had been victimized by. And she said, you know, I hate to be paranoid. And I said, no, it's not paranoia. They really are after you. (laughs) The scammers really are after you. You have to start, unfortunately, you have to start with thinking it's a scam and then go from there. Anyway, thank you so much, Sean, for coming on the show, enlightening us once again and giving us those very, very important warnings. We appreciate it. So, Patty, I do actually have some good news, which was followed by some bad news. But anyway, the U.S. Department of Justice has expanded its transnational elder fraud strike force and targeting foreign-based fraud schemes that target American seniors. In other words, they're making this task force bigger, the task force that goes after these fraudsters who are in Nigeria or Ghana or India who run these various kinds of scams. And apparently, they are going to increase the total number of U.S. attorney offices that make up the strike force from 6 to 20. 
Those offices include offices in California, Arizona, Texas, Florida, Georgia, Maryland, and New York. So we are going to be getting more boots on the ground to combat these kind of international scams, like the grandparent scam or the lottery scam or the romance scam. In the same bulletin, they talked about the hotline that they have set up, which I have talked about too. This is the national fraud hotline. I'm going to give you the number. It's 1-833-372-8311. And apparently, case managers are going to be assigned to this hotline. So you are going to be able to talk to a live person. And the hotline is going to be staffed seven days a week, 6 a.m. to 11 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And apparently, these case managers are going to be available in English, Spanish, and other languages. So the federal government is getting even more serious about trying to stop these scams. Of course, this came on the heels of another bulletin I got. Here's the headline on that. FBI raises flag on elder fraud after thousands of retirees are scammed out of $1.7 billion in 2021. There is a huge need for an increased task force by the feds to go after these folks. And we're very glad that that's what they're planning to do. I'm really glad. And, you know, the last show that Montecito Bank and Trust shared information with us when we had Doris Roof on, she reported these statistics. I think they came originally from USA Today. Those in their 50s got scammed a certain amount, their average amount scammed, monetary value. 60s was more, 70s was more, 80s was more, 90s were more. So it just really showed that they are more vulnerable for whatever reason, maybe just because they grew up in a different era. So it's very important. It is. So we're glad the feds are doing something about it. We'll hope for good results. Thank you both. And I know you gave the national fraud hotline, but you have a fraud hotline as well. And people can share their story, get advice from you, or perhaps even be on the show. Would you share that number as well? Absolutely. It's area code 805-568-2442. I'll repeat it. 805-568-2442. Great show. Thank you both. Have a great week.